Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 76 of the Corona Diaries. Feel better for that. Yeah, that was that was a long one. It was think, a long one. I think I went early. You, you did go early. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not something you'd expect of a man of your age. <laughs> um, um, how are you? Uh, how about I? How am I? I'm all right. I'm I'm perking up with each passing minute. Yeah. Um, it's a nice day, which always helps. You know, it's not one of those peeing it down days that we've had. It's quite pleasant today here in here in Trumpton. Yes, <laughs> where I live. You do look bathed in sunshine here from the, the window windmill. on your top uh, top floor tower. I am. I'm bathed. Mm. But I'm bathed, man. I'm people, ca- people don't know that tower is actually 17 stories high, and you look out over your domain, don't you? Yes, and I open the window and shout in Gaelic at people. <laughs> <laughs> Puts them on the back foot. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> the the, the well uttered phrase in the village: "Who's that silly fucker?" <laughs> There's a bit of Gaelic on the new album. Is there? Yeah. Only a tiny tad, but... You keep slipping bits of the new album in, don't you, when job. you think nobody's listening? I'm very I'm very excited about it now. I can tell. After the last mix. Mike, Mike finished the last mix yesterday. And, ooh, ooh. It's, it's a, a belter. It's a peach, yeah. Oh, I'm so quite excited. Happy. I was just saying before we came on air, I ordered my copy. I got in under the wire on the 30th and got my copy ordered, so I'm getting quite excited now. Mm. Well, I don't think it's going to let you down unless right. I'm deluded, which is always a possibility. <laughs> I've only got 75 reasons to think that. I might well have 76 <laughs> by the end of the day. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Ben Percy from Sheffield. Oh, Ben Percy. Ben Percy from Sheffield. Um, he, he wanted to concur that uh, Holidays was his first Marillion album proper as well, because we were talking about that either last week or the week before. And he bought Cover My Eyes in Haverford West, and then the album in Chester, caught three dates on the tour and saw you at the Cumbria Rock Festival. Top work, Ben. God, he gets about, doesn't he? He does. In uh, Haverford West. Man, it's nice West. to buy. It was probably on holiday, wasn't it? It's not. I think he was. I think no, he was. Pembrokeshire. I went uh, with Lynette to... Couple of years ago, because we've got a mate in the village who was born in that part of the world, or should I say, <laughs> go on, go on, try it, go on, go on, try it. I won't lie to you. He was born. I can't do it. Um... <laughs> Terry Wogan is spinning in his grave. <laughs> anyway, he was, and uh, it's, it's beautiful there. Mm. Great sunsets on the coast there, because you know it's due west and all of that. He, he he got his copy from Woolworths. Ah, that was back in bef- the day, before I before I wrecked Woolworths, or yeah. probably you know <laughs> no after. I mean, I'd, I'd just like to feel I contributed at the kind of thin end of its demise. It was a slow burn, wasn't it? it what was. you did to Woolworths, <laughs> it, it was. was a slow burn. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he bought it in Woolworths, and then he got the album in our price. There's another. <laughs> It's another oh, chain that doesn't exist past anymore. From the past, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then three dates on the tour and the Cumbria Rock Festival as well. So, yeah, he, get, he, he gets about. He gets about. Um, Ian King, Ian King piped up that he listened to the Shaw podcast. We put mm. the link out for that very first chat we ever had. And he said it had a depressing air of professionalism about it. <laughs> it's another T-shirt. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to have... I don't know if we disappointed in that respect. I was a corporate man back then. 
We've come a long way. We've come. I think we have, the we've travelled in a in a direction, and we've travelled. Yeah. Yes. When I say we've come a long way, I mean we've gone down a long we way. Down. We have gone down <laughs> for the better. Uh, oh, I think so. Uh, yeah. Julian Bailey. Julian Bailey. We know Julian. He's a, he's a friend of the podcast. Um, yeah. And he's reminded us all of our of our O level geography. Right, because the groins on the beach stop the sand drifting down the coast, and of course they do. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, we didn't know it when we talked about it, but we do know it. My dad used to call them breakwaters. Ah. I I don't don't, because I do think they calm the tide as well. They probably do. You know the way that you know if you've got a tray of ice cubes before they're frozen, right, and Mm -hmm. like that, you give them a little tittle. All good, but you take the dividers out and give them a little tittle, water everywhere. So it's similar to the dividers in an ice cube tray, man. Can you in video? Can you video you doing a little tittle and put it on Instagram? Because <laughs> I think everybody needs to see you doing a little tittle. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Um, and and finally, our our sort of our guru. Our, our stats man, our equivalent of Stato, Andy Miles, has confirmed mm. that no one can was re-released around the time of six of one, half dozen of the other. <sighs> what a um, bloody waste of time that was. Uh, yes, um, and 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 I've looked because I've got them, uh, and yes, it was a waste of time. It wasn't a waste of time because it was nice because I got some extra B sides, but mm. th- it didn't do anything, did it? Mm. Really. So now, what I'm supposed to say to you is. So, radiation then? Ah, oh, yes, radiation. But we're not going to do that. Are we not? Are no, we still we'll leave it for another week. We'll we're stringing it out. Into the long grass. We're for kicking the it third into the long grass. No, yeah, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. Yes. But I, I was listening to the episode before it went out when you'd sent it through um, with the diary reading. And I thought mm. that diary reading's brilliant about the H band. And we didn't really talk about it much because I'd not read it at that point. And the second half of the diary or the diary this week is also the H-Band live gigs. And that's the only section. It's only going to be two weeks. So we need to talk about the H-Band this week because otherwise it will pass us by. So what I thought we'd do, and you're hearing this at the same time everybody else is, a couple of questions from last week on the section you read because you were in Paris, weren't you? Yes. Last week. Then we'll do the, the, the 11th and the 12th, which is Amsterdam. Then I've got a couple of questions from Amsterdam. And then you'll do the final diary reading, which is um, wherever the final one was. It wasn't Amsterdam, was it? Is moved it to Cologne. 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 Yeah, there was about six people in that gig. So it was a bit of slack. So we'll, we'll, have, we'll have that diary reading and then we'll have a few questions to wrap up. And then at least we've got an episode that talks to those dates. Hmm. Because it's it's they've gone down in history, haven't they? Even though, as you rightly pointed out, hardly anybody was there. Well, I think it's one of those one of those things where, over time, people have kind of got into the idea of the H band, and and probably because those those live spirit, live body, probably helped anyone who's mm. managed to get hold of that. The, I think people have gone, oh, they were a bit good, weren't they? Uh, what a shame I missed that. And so, and then. It's a bit of word of mouth, you know, and over over time, like any dead thing, it starts to appeal. There's nothing like dying for uh, for whipping up the ponters into fits fits of affection, hmm. um, and uh, you know the age band having having sort of well, it, it's probably dead, or it's it's certainly in the fridge. Hmm. Um, People have kind of it's taken on an air of of uh, of, le- of legend of legend, I guess. Um, but the truth was that at the time, in certain, I mean, particularly in Germany, there were not a lot of people there. I don't know if there was a serious football match on that night or whatever, but but it was a bit slack. But Cologne's Cologne's normally a fairly good rock and roll town, isn't it? So imagine my surprise. Mm. Yeah, it was a little bit... I was expecting something really special. And and the the gig actually was as mm. well. You know, the gig was a cracker. Um, we played... 
what was that gig called? Little club. Um, I think I'd done it with the Euros years ago before. But yeah, no, it was a good gig. Well, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. So we'll start with a few questions from last week. Then we'll then we'll do Amsterdam Diary. A few questions about that. Then we'll do Cologne and 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 finish off and wrap up. Right. So here's my questions from last week. Uh, the Luxor. That was it. Just, the Luxor. Just having a look. Yeah. So here's me here's me questions from last week then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go st- straight in actually because you said that the the numbers in Paris were 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 low, but you also mentioned the promoter who wasn't around because he was on holiday. Gerard. Yes. Yeah. And you you threw in a fairly pithy comment about, well, he sent me a nice bottle of champagne, <laughs> which is probably the alternative to spending it on on promoting the gig. Yeah. But there's a serious question there then. What I suppose there's nothing you can do, is there? If you if you appoint a promoter and nothing happens, there's not really much in the way of comeback, is there? Apart from not using them next time. No, there is no comeback and there's nothing to guarantee that it's their fault either because they might have, for all you know, promoted the living shit out of it and nobody was interested. So mm. you can't... As I mean, artists will always blame everybody else. <laughs> they'll blame their management and they'll blame their agent and they'll blame the... Like, you know, whoever whoever was supposed to stick the posters on the wall because they stuck them in the wrong place or, or whatever. Um... And, of course, you never know the level of promotion you've had. Oh, and we had a German promoter called Peter Rieger, Marillion, that is, for years and years. And we bitched on at Peter for not putting posters up. Uh, and because, of course, when you arrive in a town to play the show, the posters have gone because mm. they've been there months earlier. Mm. And by then, the adverts are for upcoming gigs in the future so you arrive in a town and there's never any posters on the on the wall and so we used to bitch on at peter about not having done anything and uh, he actually sent one of his staff out with a polaroid camera to photograph every poster he'd put up and we got we got into Kelowna, I think, one particular time and he arrived he arrived and he just threw them all on the table. He said, Have a look at each and every one of those and we were like, oh, all right, oh, all right, you know. Uh, and you know, but but the really the really um, smart promoters, of course don't do any promotion and then stick some posters on the wall the day the band turns up. (laughs) (laughs) Which serve no purpose whatsoever. Hasn't he done a good job? Look at all those posters. (laughs) Yeah, that tends to happen in South America. Is is, is posters still a bit of a dark dark art or is it a dark economy? Is it still people wandering around on the cover of darkness? Yeah, because fly posting is illegal, yeah. and so and a, a lot of the the rock and roll promoters would fly post, so they would uh, employ, you know, businessmen from the darker side of the world to uh, <laughs> to look after that, and certain businessmen from the darker side of the world had had that sewn up, so if you went around putting your own posters up. They would tear them down. I've I've had that. I mean, back in the days of the Euros, we would go and we would stick our own posters up on walls, and you'd go two days later and they'd been torn down because the uh, the men, you know, the men, the men with the uh, broken noses had, had mm. been round, been and, round and, and removed. And, yeah, they probably would have could have. They probably would have come and seen you personally, but you lived three doors down from a serial killer, so they probably didn't <laughs> think there was much point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even even those guys were leaving us alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, promoter in France, n- nice little flippant comment. I like that. Um, yeah, I feel bad about that because Gerard Drouot is a good man, and mm. uh, he's you know he was uh, he was always very nice to me. But because I didn't sell a lot of tickets in Paris, I was in the ump at the time, so. I don't know. I don't know. He either didn't do any promotion, in which case he's a twat, or he did 
and I called him a twat, in which case I'm a twat. One of those two. Right. There's a certain amount of twatage going around. <laughs> um, it's love... always been the same with the English and the French. <laughs> it's not changing anytime soon. I'm I not love... a twat. You're a twat. Well, you twat. There's a lot. Of... It's still going on, isn't it, over the um, over the channel crossings. You know, they're, they're out there at dead of night wandering about on the dunes trying to apprehend these poor desperate sorts. And, uh, you know, and then we're saying to them, oh, no, you're not, you're not trying hard enough. And you can imagine how they feel, <laughs> being as we want nothing to do with Europe, but we still expect Europe to kill itself to, on our behalf. So you can imagine, if you were French, you could be forgiven for going, you know what, get in the boat, off you go. You know, I would be. I'd be helping them in. Well, I mean, aside from the morality of it all, it's worth doing just to stick one to Pretty Patel, but anyway. Well, that's what I mean, you know, after after the whole Brexit shit show. I mean, why, why should they? why should they hang on to... All of these immigrants that are, that are that want to come to the UK, mm. why should the French stop them? Mm. It's not in their interests, is it, to keep them in France and pay for them and house them and so on. And they want to come to England, and England wants nothing to do with Europe. I mean, I would be helping them into the boat. I would be bringing them across on the on a decent on the ferry. <laughs> If I, was, if I was in charge of France, I'd be running, I'd be running ferries across and giving them breakfast. Right, OK. We'll leave that particular... <laughs> Hot potato. <laughs> and move on. Um, I, I loved... You, you, you mentioned that the gig in Paris there was an issue with the noise level and, and, oh, and yeah, just that whole thing of you sort of going, well, look... An acoustic dr- set of drums is is around about 100 dB. There's nothing you can do about it. That's just what the level is. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter because when Clem goes on stage and starts hitting it, there's not a lot you can do about that. It'll be too loud, yeah. If you don't turn the PA on, it'll be too loud. It'll be too loud. So the, the smile and the kind of, it'll be fine, don't worry about it, thank you for letting us know it's wonderful, and then just <laughs> completely ignoring it. You have no choice. You you just have no choice. Not not that you know. I mean, there is an element of rebelliousness, but you do have no choice. Mm. Yeah. And finally, on Paris, the one thing that did chime at the end of the reading was you went out and did Easter and Hollow Man as the encores, and uh, and Hollow Man floored you a little bit in that moment. Yeah, but I mean, that year I was I was in a. You know, we Dizzy and I were uh, were in, in in crisis really, um, and it was all my fault. Um, or no, that's that's harsh. Ninety nine percent my fault. Yeah, um, well, keep yourself under the fall. Make it ninety five percent. But. Um, yeah, we were in we were in a bad place, and I I was I think that's why that's actually why that year has so little in it. The year mm. before, you know, I think was a page and a half. Yeah, because there was all hell going on at home, and I didn't feel like writing anything. Um, certainly didn't feel like writing about it, but I didn't feel like writing anything else either. Um, so just a couple of difficult years, and and the the, the second H band tour we did, the one where Andy Andy G was drumming, I remember we were in all sorts of. I remember we'd do sound checks, and the phone would go, and I'd I'd go outside to to answer the phone, and have really difficult phone calls, you know, back back home because. It was driving her around the twist that we were apart and that, that she couldn't really trust me and she was wondering what I was up to and I was just working my balls off, you know, mm. tr- tr- trying to um, trying to get an eight-piece band through a tour where everybody was coming to me 
all day, every day. What's happening about this? What are we going to do about that? Do you know what this is? Do you know what that is? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I was like, whoa. So I was kind of on the second, on the second H-Band tour particularly, I was tour manager, band leader, chief cook, bottle washer, transport organiser. Um, and how do you want to end this song? Yeah. You know, do you really want to end the song like that? <laughs> As Clem used to say, do you really want to do that? And I probably shouldn't, Clem. What do you think? Well, it might be better if we... Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Um, so I was in, in charge of eight eight people, you know, all sometimes all making a noise at once um, whilst trying to think. And it was a bit fraught. And uh, sometimes it just got a bit too much for me. I mean, I still sometimes get emotional playing the Hollow Man. If if I if I sit inside that song too, you know, if I'm too present in that song, then I get upset because it's it's um, you know it's a, it, it's a self hate number really. Mm. And you've yeah, and by this point in time, you'd written quite a few. So, uh... <laughs> well, I'm still at it. Well, yes, yes. It's it, it's the third category after death and water. So, uh... <laughs> death, water, and self hate. And self hate, yeah, exactly. Your particular canon. Mm. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's go to the first diary reading for this week, which is the Tuesday, eleventh, and Wednesday, the twelfth of Feb, and that takes in the Amsterdam. Um, um, date the day before and the day of the of the gig, and the then Milky I've, Way. Indeed, the Milky Way. And I've got a few questions when we come back. All right, here it comes. Wednesday, the twelfth of never. Tuesday, 11th of February, H-Band, Amsterdam, day off. Woke as the bus cut its engine, opened my porthole curtain and I could tell by the light that it was nine o'clock or so in the morning. As far as I could tell, we were in some kind of parking spot in the country, a hill and a line of trees, perhaps the only hill in the Netherlands. I drifted back into sleep after contemplating the luminous spaceships I'd stuck on the ceiling of my bunk. When I awoke again, we were moving along a river that was unmistakably Dutch, lined with houseboats and crisscrossed by those bridges that lift up to let the taller boats pass underneath. We passed the Amstel Hotel and I realised we were in Amsterdam, following the Amstel River, very close to the Leidersplein and the good old American hotel. I debunked and made my way to the front of the bus where Priv and Stuart were enjoying the sunshine of a fantastic morning and planning a day doing the museums. John, our bus driver, parked the bus outside the American and I gingerly opened the door of the back lounge, hoping to avoid the cars and cyclists whizzing by from every conceivable direction. I made my way to room 416 where the pretenders were playing on the radio back on the chain gang and had a much-needed shower before calling home. Sue's feeling a little better at last, although she doesn't think she'll be up to the trip to Cologne tomorrow. I strolled along the lighter's plane in the sunshine to enjoy a light lunch in my favourite little cafe on the top floor of Met's department store overlooking the city. Heaven. I had a club sandwich and lazily fell back in love with Amsterdam's beauty before I returned to the American and went to bed for the afternoon. At 4.30, John rang to talk about the financial pros and cons of filming tomorrow's show at the Milky Way. We decided to do it and worry about the money afterwards. Neil Spanipperen and Bert will shoot the show. Whoopee! After that, I couldn't get back to sleep, so I got up and decided to go shopping. I spent a couple of hours wandering around without seeing anything I would want to wear. I was hoping to find something for tomorrow night's show. In the end, after hours of walking, I found an Agnes B and bought a black T-shirt just as they were closing. 
I returned to the American and sat down in the bar with an Irish coffee. Oddly enough, something of a speciality in the Netherlands. Try asking for a snowball or advocat and they stare blankly back. Nonchalantly scanning the walls, which are festooned with all the celebs who've stayed here over the years. Everyone from Clapton to Crowded House and Gloria Estefan to Springsteen. When I was here in December, shooting the video for You Dinosaur Thing, the bar manager, Cor, as in blimey and trousers, his words, took my photograph. So I was wondering if I'd made it onto the wall, perhaps tucked away in some corner behind the jukebox or something. Just as I stopped looking and returned my attentions to my drink, there I was, right in front of myself. They'd hung me in just about the most prominent position in the bar, just above Nina Hagen and next door but two to Eric Clapton. Fame at last. I wonder if they'll take me down after I've gone. P.S. They didn't. I was up there last time I looked, in 2013. Yvonne from Rondor appeared in the bar, she was there to meet some Australian boy band who were arriving. We chatted for a while and were joined by Aziz, who had an orange juice. He's a Muslim and his religion forbids alcohol. It's just as well. He seems to be on a planet of his own as it is. Around eight o'clock I went upstairs and phoned around to gather support for an excursion out to dinner. But no one was in, so I dined alone in one of the many Indonesian restaurants found here. I returned to the American around 11 to discover a promotion schedule pushed under my door for tomorrow, starting at 11am through 2pm. I was still tired from the tour, and when Niels van Ipperen, photographer who took the ICG ice cream shots and directed the You Dinosaur Thing video, called my room at 11.30 to say he was downstairs in the bar, I was already asleep and unable to contemplate getting up again. Sorry, Niels, you're dealing with a lightweight. Wednesday, 12th of February, H-Band, Amsterdam, Melkveg, or Milky Way. The phone rang at 10.30, rocketing me from my dreams to reality. The opposite direction of travel to most people, I suppose. I usually dream about mundane things like going to the shop or putting a plug on and then wake up to the prospect of being a rock star. Sometimes I just want to go back to sleep. It was Nick B with my alarm call. 30 minutes to the first interview. At 11 o'clock there was a knock on my door and I opened it to a six-foot blonde beauty with an ear-to-ear -ear grin. She's Diane, the record company Get the Artist to the Interview girl. She seemed interested to see my room, so I gave her a quick tour and we left to go to another hotel room where the first interviewer was waiting to begin. As we walked along the corridor... Chucho was coming the other way, so we stopped and I introduced him. He said he'd spent yesterday looking at the Van Goghs and vibing in this beautiful city. I love Amsterdam, man. He was followed closely by Dave G, who I also introduced. By now, we must have been causing some commotion in the corridor because Richard B appeared from the door next to us to say good morning. He was trouserless and grinning, not quite prepared for an introduction to Diane. Richard's something of a prince of darkness, so it was particularly amusing to see him in his shorts shaking hands. I said I would see them all later and spent the rest of the morning and early afternoon giving three interviews. As I was getting into the lift to go for my last interview, a couple of fit, young, sun-bronzed boys joined me. I guessed they must be part of the Australian boy band. I suddenly felt like I was in a scene from home and away. One of them shook my hand and said, Hi, will you be interviewing us this afternoon? No, I don't think there's much chance of that. Cheerio, I said. The last interviewer said that he thought James Redfield must have written the Celestine prophecy after hearing I Will Walk on Water, as my song predates the book. Hmm. Once I was clear of the interviews, I decided to go and have a look at the Milky Way. Nick B walked me round the corner. I know it sounds pathetic, but as tour manager, his job is to look after the artist, which means stopping the artist, getting lost, locked out of his own gig, mobbed, assaulted, etc. 
In my case, and in this instance, none of the above are likely to happen. But he's a pro, and it's the thought that counts. And anyway, I enjoy Nick's company. If I was a millionaire, I would happily employ Nick, Stuart and Priv just to have around for laughs. Inside the venue, everything was looking good. The stage is a good size. Stuart had unfortunately fallen out of the truck and dropped one of my monitors, injuring his knee. Thankfully, not seriously, and the monitor still sounds okay. I chatted to the fan club chaps, who really do do a great job here in Holland, and were no doubt responsible for the ticket sales tonight, which are up at around 850. More or less a sellout. I was feeling distinctly dodgy by now, tired and fluey, so I thought I'd return to the bus for 40 winks. Outside it was coming on to rain, and I ran into Inga, Siska and Natasha from the fan club. I invited them onto the bus so we could chat in the dry. They all seemed to be keeping well. Inga and Siska qualify as my oldest Dutch fans, having both been at my first gig here with the Europeans. Incredibly, Inga tells me we played here exactly 13 years ago to this day in 1984. Amazing. I've never been here at this venue since. The girls went off into the rain to grab a coffee, so I jumped into my bunk to relax and rest for a while. I loved the solitude of tour buses. I dozed and dreamed until Nick appeared to tell me everything was ready for soundcheck. Soundcheck with this band consists of setting levels of the drum machine so that Clem's happy to play to it, and the Roland SPD-8 drum sample pads, which have the tablas and African drums for the end of the deep water. My vocal sound has been consistently good and audible, thanks to the decision to bring my own concert sound monitors from the Racket Club, along with a rack of graphics. Thank you, Stuart. Shows like these, which have been a complete pleasure for me to do, could just as easily have been a total nightmare if I couldn't hear myself. I'm having Chucho's bass in my wedges also, as his backline levels are really quiet compared to Pete T, who I can always hear clearly on all but the biggest stages. No trouble hearing Clem, however, who remains a child of the post-punk movement in spirit and attitude. Dave G seems on easy life, surprisingly lacking the balls-out confidence that one would expect from a man of his raw talent and pedigree. If I'd had a little longer, I could have coaxed some arrogance out of him, I'm sure. But he's a perfectionist, and his imperfections plague him as much as they excite me. Aziz, on the other hand, has balls to spare in all departments, and with good reason. He's like no guitar player I've heard, and is possessed of a consummate knowledge of Indian, Arabic and Chinese scales, along with a Ronson Page ability to turn on the attitude and a terrific sense of funk rhythm. If you think it sounds good on paper, you should hear it happen. As for Richard, he just does his spooky thing on stage right, controls his own levels and gets on with it. I've got some serious talent assembled here, with a couple of geniuses amongst them. Lucky me. If you're reading this and you missed our shows, I'm here to tell you that you missed something rare and unique, and probably never to be repeated. Well, soundcheck went off without a hitch, although Clem seemed a little uptight about something. I said hello to Niels and Bert, who were down to film the show. Niels always seems laid back. He was grinning away with his row of new teeth. He smashed his originals when he blacked out and fell over while making love in the shower after a particularly raucous night out. We were shown to the calf, where we were to be given dinner. It took an age for mine to come. Something to do with Stuart eating what I'd ordered. John A. appeared with John Knowles from Castle, so I said hello before running back round the corner for a quiet drink at the American. Showtime was delayed by 15 minutes or so as the opening act had finished a little late, but that was just as well since I had a little trouble getting back into the building. The show went by in a haze. Richard and Aziz were on stage before I'd noticed they'd left the dressing room. The audience were great, although there was a little talking during the quiet moments, which is a little distracting for me. 
I learned long ago not to get rattled by this sort of thing, especially as it's probably an expression of excitement rather than boredom, and it was to be by far the biggest crowd of the tour. The encores were well received, particularly The Last Thing, which has been going down really well live. We encored again with You Dinosaur Thing for the benefit of the recording because Clem had broken a kick drum skin or something during the set. After Paris, I was ready to go out and do a couple of impromptu things on my own for a third encore, but the audience had decided the show was over and were filing out of the gig. I went back upstairs and showered. Clem had cheered up, but Chicho was disappointed with his gig. He says he gets spooked by the filming. When I got out of the shower, Niels was in the dressing room with the camera still running. Great. I dried off and we went back to the American for a drink with the record company. John, Hype and Diane. Hype said he loved the gig and wants us back for more. We'll see. The American bar was closing, so we walked across the lights plane in a rainstorm and down Leinbanskracht and we found a little bar where Richard and I drank too many Hawaiian punches. We had my favourite couple of hours of the tour there, everyone mellowing out in the afterglow of a good show before tramping back to the bus for the ride to Cologne. The boys were watching Pulp Fiction in the back lounge. I joined them for a while, but I had overdone the Hawaiian punch and was forced into the chemical toilet to do penance for my sins. Not one of life's better experiences. I'll spare you the odious details. And we're back from the first section and Amsterdam, uh, which is a place you like, isn't it? You like Amsterdam. I do like Amsterdam. It's it's um, it's an amazing place. Um, I, I I I probably prefer Utrecht because Utrecht's a lot like Amsterdam. It's like Amsterdam but clean. Mm. Um, Amsterdam is grubby, and that that is to some extent that's part of its charm. You know the old, you know, like any big city. Um, it's a bit grubbier. Um, of course, there's 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 all the dope cafes and then there's the whorehouses and all of that. And so, it's grubby a little bit um, too. Whereas Utrecht, there's not so much of that. Or if there is, I haven't found it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and God knows I've looked. Yeah. Um, Thought so you'd have been drawn to it. You, you, you tracked a little bit sort of brighter and nicer. I like you, but but a very similar characteristic with all the canals and all mm. of that everywhere. But Amsterdam's well, um, you know, it's well special, isn't it? Oh, it's but, fantastic. Um, Rijks Museum um, and the Van Goghs and all of that. Well, and and the cafe at the top of the Mets department store mm. is that still there do you still go I w- if it's still there i'll go right. but if it isn't i'll probably give it a miss um but i've i've I, it was there last time i've not been right. to amsterdam for quite a while to be honest because um we tend these days to play in utrecht so yeah. i don't actually get into the the, the big city. I only get in there if if I'm doing um, the Paradiso, and we haven't done the Paradiso for a while. Um, and uh, what was I about to say? Yeah, or if we're doing any promotion, they sometimes stick us in in a hotel in Amsterdam. But having said that, the, the most of the promo in Holland tends to end up in Hilversum. They've got a, right. a town called Hilversum, which for whatever reason is the home of all the TV studios and they're not in Amsterdam. So they they send you out to Hilversum, sit in a hotel there instead. So so I don't get in there as often as I'd like to. I, t- I tell you, there's a great hotel that I would thoroughly recommend in Rotterdam called the Hotel New York, if anyone's ever in Rotterdam. And it's out on the water and you get a little water taxi to it. And that's got a great cafe in it. Top tips. Now, now you see, 
I don't, I've only ever been to Amsterdam. I've not been to Utrecht and I've not been to Rotterdam. Mm, well, we'll so, see. Uh, right, okay, fine. Right, <clears throat> we'll just schedule that in at some point. Um, I've been looking around this morning because you, you referenced the fact that you recorded the show. Uh, and by that, I mean a video recording, bearing yes. in mind. Um, I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah. That was Niels van Epperen, apparently, yeah. as well. And Niels is a genius. So where the hell that went, I really have no idea. Okay, no point me asking that question then. Uh, <laughs> this is probably one of the purples knows. Uh, well, it'd be interesting to find out because I looked at the um, live body, live spirit, and there's no reference to it because that was later. That was 2002 was, or 2003. Yeah. And there's no reference to any of that being mixed footage or mixed recording. That was all taken from, was that Dingwalls? Live Spirit, Live Body was from two nights at Dingwalls and Dave Megan mixed that. Right. I didn't know that. Mm, Megan right. mixed it. So we ought to see if anybody knows where that footage from the that date went then because that yeah. would be of interest to a lot of people, particularly drop... the 10,000 people who think that they were there. <laughs> I could drop Niels an email. I don't know if he replied to the last one. He's in Bogota. <laughs> you said that. So... I don't know if he's still in Bogota or bearing in mind that he's in Bogota. I don't know if he's still alive. Um, but he's an absolutely brilliant photographer um, and and a bit of a character. I mean, you've got to be a bit of a character to think, do you know what, I'll move to Bogota. <laughs> um, but Niels is that kind of guy. He's a, a, a proper artist. Um and I don't think you replied to my last email, which makes me suspect that he might have changed email addresses or mm. cleared off somewhere else. Mm. He's a bit of a free spirit. Mm. But I could, I'll try and get hold of him because I could do with that footage myself. Just, just a shame, really, if it was recorded. That'd be a... That'd, that'd sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd love to that. see it because Nils is a, a genius. Mm. Mm. And 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 that would be the only because obviously the the by the time you played the second tour the band was different so it was, yeah. that yeah. would be the only the only footage of that particular band wouldn't it yeah yeah it'd be nice to have that mm. with clam drumming and chucho chucho hey man she was such a nice lady I crashed into her car she was so nice man that's becoming. The go-to impression now. <laughs> that one. Uh, I think that one's brilliant. It's certainly it, the Welsh needs a bit more work, but that one. <laughs> the Welsh that, needs a lot more. Work. I one. don't mind telling you. <laughs> I won't lie to you. The Welsh needs more work. Um, <laughs> you're not going to know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Who were the Australian boy, boy band in the hotel? I have a, a clue. I just have, I don't know. I just no. heard that there was an Australian, I mean, I couldn't even name an Australian boy band. I, neither could I. No. So I think I could I name about know. three or four Australian bands, if I'm being honest. They were probably called, oh, I don't know. Drongo? <laughs> what do you call a boy band? I don't know. <laughs> Jason and the Donovans, I yeah. don't know. Flash is a rat with a gold teeth. <laughs> that's what you call, yes. <laughs> that's what you call a boy band in Australia. Strike a light. That'd be a good name for a boy that's band. That's big, yes. Yeah. Strike a light. Support opening for Take That. Yeah. Strike a light. Engaged Dunny. Right. Um, the Celestine Prophecy. Oh. Yeah. You're going to have to tell me about the Celestine Prophecy. So somebody thought that the Celestine Prophecy referenced I Will Walk on Water <laughs> was influenced by... Yeah, go figure. Right. Go figure. I mean, okay. that's just a lot of twaddle, isn't it, about Christ being married to Mary Magdalene and having children and God knows what, isn't it? Is that I right? don't know. Is that the one that sat behind The Last Temptation of Christ then, the film? The Celestine Prophecy. Or was that was earlier? There. Wasn't, um, what's his face in that? Um, Tom Hanks. Was he not in that? Or am I getting my... No, you, you, no hang on a minute. You're thinking of the Da Vinci Code now, aren't you? Oh, I am thinking of the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, a Celestine prophecy was a bit of that as well, I think. <laughs> that kind of thing. And that concludes the culture section of this week's... <laughs> Medieval <laughs> fictional nonsense. Right, right. It's, <laughs> you it's... know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right. all of that. It's a bit of highfalutin cock is what it is. So uh, we, we don't know anything about that. That's fine. You reference it. I had no idea. It left me cold. I don't know. I can't remember. I'm a cabbage. Right, fine. <laughs> uh, in which case, then, the one thing you will be able to remember is the, the copious amount of Hawaiian punch that you drank. The what? Copious amount of Hawaiian punch that you drank and your, and, and your engagement with the chemical toilet. I do remember that. I thought you would. Actually, yes, that was in the whiskey bar in uh, the little street, Leinbahnskracht. Funny, I could pull that out of uh, my memory. Uh, in in Amsterdam, yeah, I drank rather a lot of too much, and then yes, into the bus toilet for the evening. There's nothing like a chemical loo for making your mind up when you think perhaps I might be sick. <laughs> I can, you, you, I can you, imagine. You, it needs no further thought. Once you get in there and those fumes hit you, you go, oh, there's no perhaps about this. Well, you only need to have ever been on one caravanning holiday. Yes, anchors to know what, away. <laughs> to know what's being discussed here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, horrible. horrible. It's, that's one of the more unpleasant memories in my life is, is the... Uh, being sick into bus toilets and and I've been sick into a few. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got a title for the episode. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> mm, chemically enhanced vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I, shan't I? Oh, go on then. <laughs> right, right, let's... Let's wrap up then with that that final section of Diary in Cologne. <laughs> Lovely, wholesome thought. Uh, oh dear. Go on then. I'll let you do Cologne, and then we'll then we'll then we'll finish off. Oh, okay. So how's this working? So we I'm going to do because I've done Diary once. So we're having yes. two lots of diaries. Two lots of Diary. Oh, I see. And yes. and then and then we'll do Cologne, and then we've got a couple of questions about Cologne, and then we've <laughs> properly covered the. Cool. Here we go. Cologne, the Luxor. Thursday, 13th of February. H-Band, Cologne, Luxor. Woke up outside the Holiday Inn Crown Plaza on a grey, rainy day. It was going to be a long, slow climb back up to a reasonable state of mind and health. Fortunately, we had time on our hands, so I staggered to the back lounge and Chucho and I watched Pulp Fiction all over again. By the time it had finished, I was able to contemplate leaving the bus and braving the rain to take a shower in Hotel Room 222. It's a nice hotel. I bumped into Clem, who had been down and done the sauna and the pool. Shame I wasn't in a fit state to do the same. I showered and was later joined downstairs by Richard, Aziz and Clem for club sandwiches in the bar. Richard seems to have warmed to me. We're getting on like old friends. By now, I was really close to functioning properly, which was just as well because we were leaving to go to the Luxor for sound check. We tumbled into taxis and were there in a couple of minutes. There were quite a few people hanging around in the front of the club waiting to interview me. We sound-checked first, trouble-free once again. However, 13 was to live up to its reputation when a large truck smashed into our truck in the street outside, rendering it useless for the journey home and jamming the roller shutter closed. Fortunately, the equipment was inside the club but the T-shirts were still in the back of the truck, so there was some doubt over whether we would be able to sell them at the gig. Oh, well. More administrative headaches for Nick B and more financial complications, which will eventually work their way back to yours truly. In the end, we had to hire a truck and driver in Germany to take our equipment home to the record club. 
The bus was still down the road at the Holiday Inn, so there was much hanging about in the dodgy dressing room backstage at the Luxor. One of the interviewers accidentally caught the heel of my shoe, which promptly fell off, so I hung around in my socks, waiting for Priv's glue to dry. The show went really well. I think it was probably my favourite of the lot. Everyone in the band seemed happy and relaxed, even Dave Greggs. Better Dreams went particularly well tonight and felt quite magical. Living for the city was stupidly fast and consequently a bit of an embarrassment, but no one seemed to mind. I did my third encore tonight, playing Easter and the Hollow Man as I did in Paris, and inexplicably blubbing through Easter. No one I spoke to afterwards mentioned it though, so maybe they couldn't tell. After the show, I went out front to chat to the people still in the building and to sign my name here and there. As luck would have it, there's a good bar called The Blue Shell, almost next door to the Luxor. I'd been there before with Kai Fleshman from EMI. In fact, it was here that I first heard of a band called No Man, which might well have been the beginning of the process of fate, which led me to Richard Barbieri. We all relaxed there for a couple of hours. The record company girl came along to buy the drinks, but it seemed that every time my hand was empty, someone would buy me another colch. Chicho and the boys wired into the tequila, but I declined. I didn't want another conversation with the chemical toilet tonight. I must have been doing okay, though, because I remember dancing on my own in the middle of the bar to a remix of Isabel by Björk, probably my favourite of her songs. It's rare for me to dance. Around 2.30, we returned to the bus via a takeaway kebab place and we all sat in the back lounge watching Reservoir Dogs and munching junk. I didn't get to see too much. I went to bed. I woke up to half-sleep as the bus drove onto the ferry at the channel. The sounds of the car deck, diesel engines revving, men shouting and the thunder echo of the metal cave surrounding us all. I drifted back to sleep amid uneasy memories of the herald of free enterprise and the Estonia. If I'm to meet my maker tonight, then a watery grave in a tour bus bunk would be a natural and fitting way for me to go. I woke up again to the same flurry of action outside and guessed that the bow doors had held and we must be at Dover. Unease crept over me again as I remembered overhearing someone say that Chucho had taped his grass to the roof of the bus and that he would have to get rid of it before Dover because the customs men here have overhead cameras. I wondered if it was still there. The last thing we needed was to get busted. I lay there waiting to be told to get up by some frosty uniformed official. Rock and roll band returning from Amsterdam via Cologne, including Colombian, American and Asian personnel. Blimey, if I was a customs man, I'd have taken the bus apart. They waved us straight through. I drifted back into sleep for the last couple of hours before I'd have to do the thanks and goodbyes, which I so hate. second time this week we're back yeah. and that was cologne mm. um which you said was a great great gig but you obviously as we've talked today you said there was like three people there i might be remembering the wrong one because now i come to think about it we did cologne twice with the h band once with with the the clem uh version of the h band and that was in the luxor which was a which was quite a little sort of dark club. Mm. I don't remember that being particularly sparsely attended. So, so, so I could be giving you a bum steer here because right. then we did it again with Andy G drumming, and that wasn't very well attended. And that was in a big kind of white room that felt a little bit like a works canteen. <laughs> <laughs> Had all right. the atmosphere of a works canteen. Mm. It was very sort of bright and white. Um, and I don't, and I, 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 that was the one that not a lot of people came to. So right. the, the Luxor, I can't honestly remember how well attended that was, but I don't remember it being particularly empty. 
Well, you describe it as being a, a really good gig. Mm. Um, so uh, and and had real atmosphere, mm. and and everybody seemed to have really settled down by then. Because I know when you talked about Amsterdam, Chucho wasn't overly impressed with his his gig, and Clem was a little bit um, agitated before the gig got going. But everybody, from what you said, seemed to really enjoy Cologne. Yeah, yeah, I think um, we had settled down, and it was that class classic thing with that I've always had with the H-Band, where by the last show you really felt, right, this is something mm. special now. Um, oh, let's stop. Let's and and <laughs> it, it would have been great at that point to do another month, you know, when it was really red hot. Mm. Um, but that's just economics and the yeah. fact that, you know, the, the market just wasn't there for us to stay out. No. So... Um, it became a bit of a Tarantino tour because you'd watched Pulp Fiction. Well, you hadn't because you'd disappeared off the night before to throw up. But they'd had Pulp Fiction on one night and then and then Reservoir Dogs the next. Well, what can you do? What can you do with these low life? I think that's fairly classy, isn't it? I think yeah. that's not too bad. No, I mean, it's really. not as, you know... I no, know. I love Pulp Fiction. I think it's a great film. I really Reservoir do. Dogs is a little bit darker, but there's still some humour in it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're, they're crackers, really. Mm. Uh, but I don't remember. I don't remember watching them. Maybe, I, maybe everybody else was watching them, and I was half asleep, or having well, a for... difficult phone call, or or totally asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll wrap up with a bit that you. Um, there's a, well, there's actually one thing I haven't mentioned. Obviously, you sailed through customs, even though Chucho appeared to be taking quite a significant amount of weed through. Oh, that's right. He'd got it <laughs> he'd got, he'd got it in the coffee. He'd put the ganja in the... Um, he'd put it in the coffee. So the got sniff, in the mellow birds, had it? Because then the sniffer dogs can't smell it because it's inside the, the in instant the, in the coffee. coffee. You bung it in there. He was something of an expert with these things. Right. He also told me a story, I don't know if I've told this, in the um, TCD about, um, oh, God, what was he called, the famous cocaine dom down in Colombia? Pablo Escobar. Well, Chucho told me a story about Pablo Escobar because he had his own zoo in the rainforest (laughs) and he had his own um, factory. He had his own factory producing ether, which you needed for refining cocaine. And he was so rich, he was able to make these things happen. He built a factory in the middle of the rainforest in, in Colombia. Um, and then he, he had his own private army, which, which I think employed more soldiers than the Colombian army, which is why they couldn't really take him on. Um, and he had a zoo in the, in the rainforest as well. And to this day... There are still hippopotamuses roaming around wild in uh, Colombia because they got out of the zoo. They went wild, carried on breeding, and there are hippos in Colombia because uh, they they got out of Pablo's zoo. Fact. (laughs) But uh, Chucho said that he, he knew for a fact that one of the things Pablo's factory produced was was plastic infused with elephant dung uh, from the elephants in the zoo. And um, they were like plastic pods that screwed together. And uh, he, he trafficked the serious quantities of drugs in those because the sniffer dogs would not go anywhere near it. So when dogs. they put them in on the ships or whatever looking for drugs, they'd have one little elephant's bugger that i'm not going in there um that's true so he he had he had plastic containers infused that with elephant dung uh from the zoo and plastic from the factory elephants from the zoo he was a he was what's the word smart he was an entrepreneur of the first order kind of person boris would love you see i i don't know I don't know how TCD has got this this reputation of being a little bit lightweight when you bring 
intellectual heft like that to the conversation. I'm just saddled with it, man. I'm saddled with intellectual heft as well as everything else. Yes, and I just like using the word heft. So, um, <laughs> anyway, Chucho's shoved his weed in the in oh, mellow sorry, birds, yes, and we're just, all fine. Yeah, it, that was in that was in the nest calf, Yeah, and um, and I think, but but I've got a feeling. Did he say at one point he'd got a gaffer taped to the roof of the bus? <laughs> he said that's in the diary, and. Uh, <laughs> That frightened me. That that caused a sleepless night because I know for a fact that they have cameras <laughs> looking at the looking at the roofs of buses when you come in at Dover, and I just thought, oh, good, nice idea, Chooch. We're all we're we're all in jail. Um, Did you not stick a few of those day glow stars around it? The Dayglow stars were just to get a vibe going, and so that so the boys would feel feel at home when they were in right. bed. I thought you'd have stuck stuck a bit <laughs> around the stash, man. They yeah, well, Chucho probably probably had all sorts stuck around. Is he? He he, he was a man who liked to have a vibe going. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> and last thing. Uh, and it, probably a throwaway comment, but it, it landed with me. You hate thank yous and goodbyes. You put at the end of the chapter, as you were getting back towards England, that you were going to have to do thank yous and goodbyes, which you don't like. No, I hate goodbyes. And, you know, when you're touring, you're saying goodbye daily. Mm. Um, and you say hello to people, and a hello never means as much because... You then spend a day or a couple of days working with them or around them, by which time you know them that bit better. And so mm. the goodbyes are always, they always oh, have the more hellos. gravity than the hellos. Um, and it did occur to me at one point, you know, years ago when Marillion were really touring constantly, that I was worn out by all the goodbyes, you know. Um, it's a weird thing. It, it's very common. It's a very common thing in the movie industry as well. I've, I've spoken to actors and people who direct movies, and this is such a weird thing on the very last day when you wrap everything, and you've had all of these people working towards a common cause and being together and laughing and joking and working and um, for sometimes for months. And then there's that last day where you just go, all right, I'll see you then. Mm. And it's all it's all wrapped up, put in trailers and goes away and everyone goes their separate ways and that's a bit... And, they, you know, you, they all swear they'll keep in touch, but, of course, they never do because no. they're, they're on to new, new jobs. Mm. And rock and roll's like that. You know, it's I like that, that with the crew as well. You know, you, you, you form a really uh, tight bond with the crew and then... Last day of the tour. See you. Hmm. Yeah. That can be quite exhausting over time. Yeah, but it if can. you're the kind of person who gives a, gives a toss, and I yeah. give more than a toss, frankly. Hmm. You give tosses. <laughs> I do in the plural. In the plural. A boxes of twelve. Yes, whatever the collective is for tosses. <laughs> A bandful? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. A trunk. A trunk of tossers. A trunk of tossers. <laughs> and that is the episode title. <laughs> that has got to be the episode title. Right, well, I'll see you next time. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Once I might again. ask about radiation next time. For, for all 76. Yes. Yes, radio. I can see it radiating somewhere. It's somewhere in the future, on the horizon. <laughs> there is a glow in the sky, a faint glow in the sky, a long yes. way away. Yes. Bring me radiation on a silver platter. <laughs> Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good week, everybody. Stay purple. And if you can't stay purple, Keep breathing. I don't know. What would you say? <laughs> yeah, don't die. Just don't die. <laughs> Get
give a toss. You have to care. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.